morning, crypto. Good morning, warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Mario, also known as the Node Defender, is joining us. And today we have a very special guest, a business leader, consultant, and performance expert, as well as the founder of beyondbroke.com. Jay Cleaver is in the building, ladies and gentlemen, so I am very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how one of the largest financial institutions in Japan, SBI Remit, has announced an expansion of their ODL system, stating XRP will be used as a bridge currency between nations. As the former White House cybersecurity director is stating that U.S. regulation could stifle blockchain innovation in the U.S., could Asia quickly be taking center stage? Token assets is taking the world by storm as renowned investor Raul Paul debates what he believes could be a multi-trillion dollar market. And with Swift and Visa announcing blockchain partnerships this week, we break down the details, showing our community how the largest financial firms on the planet are in the process of going digital. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, we got a bunch of great news from today, but that Chris Larson interview on Bloomberg, that's where we're starting the show. So I'm really excited about it. How you feeling, my friend? Thanks for being here. Feeling great and love you guys. Good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there for showing up every single day. I love you guys and I appreciate you guys as always. It's great to see Mario and our friend Jake here. It's been a while, Jake. Great to see you as well. and Can't wait to hop into it, boys. Mario, I see the CEO got a hold of you this morning because you are rocking the Merlin gear. So we always appreciate that. How you feeling, bro? And thanks for being here. I'm feeling amazing, man. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. It's great to meet Jake in person or virtually in person for the first time. So super excited to be here. Super excited to talk crypto. Let's get into it. I know. I always announce people as being in the building, but I guess I should say on the stream, Jake. So first of all, thanks for joining the stream. And how are you feeling this morning? I'm great, brother. Appreciate you having me on. It's it's nice to meet Mario for the first time uh, on this deal. And as always, it's always a pleasure to be here with you and you and Johnny. Thank you, Jake. We really appreciate that. And guys, we already got 211 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And this is going to be an exciting episode for a couple of reasons. But I think the number one theme of today is going to be XRP adoption, guys. So with that being said, we're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button to get updates throughout the day. When we look at some of the daily movers this morning, it is fairly red across the board. We've got KAS up about 13% and HEX token up about 3.5%. When we check out the total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at 1.04 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 48% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 25,500. Ethereum, 1,600. XRP is at 49 cents this morning, despite all the great news. And Johnny Crypto, shout out to you. Cardano is sitting at 25 cents. And Johnny, I'm going to ask you a favor. Please mute that bad boy while I'm playing this video. And we're going to get this. Uh, abs, I got a message on the phone wondering why there wasn't a Merlin screen up there. I don't know. I just forgot. Tell, tell the CEO it's a, it's a Twitter issue. I got a problem from the Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's all love. We'll get the Twitter page going later in the episode, guys. But I do want to start with this video right here because Chris Larson was on Bloomberg discussing Gary Gensler and the SEC. Unfortunately, uh, this administration uh, made a really bad call. In, at the city level or at the federal uh, level? At the federal level. They pretty much killed San Francisco from being what it was, the blockchain capital of the world. We owned it. 
Uh, and we don't anymore because the Biden administration, for whatever reason, decided they want to push this industry offshore. And so it's London, Singapore, Dubai that, that really are the global capitals of blockchain. That's unfortunate. We, maybe our vacancy rate would be half of what it is here in San Francisco. It's 30%. It might have been 15% if we still were the global blockchain capital world. So that was a missed opportunity. It's really unfortunate. It hurt the city. Not only did it hurt the city of San Francisco, Jake, I believe it hurt America overall. We're about to show our listeners a, a very interesting article from the former White House cybersecurity director. And she's a very, very big proponent of cryptocurrencies. She believes that Asia is going to dominate this market for the next decade because of how we've decided to regulate from this point going forward. So I wanted to get your take before we dive into the episode today. Do you believe that America is going to make a 180 at some point and take center stage for the crypto industry? Or is all of this technology going to end up overseas? probably in many of the Asian countries we talk about every day. Yeah, I, I think that um, <clears throat> up to this point, they've made it very difficult for people to innovate here in the U.S., uh, but I do think that there'll be a 180 at some point. I think that they'll probably have congressional uh, regulatory clarity around this asset class, uh, I'm hoping sooner than later, uh, because I, I do think that if they wait much longer, that it is going to end up um, Dubai, Singapore, London, like Chris said, um, and that's, you know, when I'm advising people, a lot of times we're looking at setting up trust in the states, um, companies in those jurisdictions, just because there is regulatory clarity around those digital assets that they're using uh, for their company. And so uh, Wyoming is probably the best place here. But um, yeah, outside of that, you know, I, I think that U.S. is going to lose a lot of face if they don't make the 180. And it reminds me of what Jeremy Hogan told us on the show previously. He said before this lawsuit was filed in 2020, he was being approached by several blockchain companies trying to operate in the United States. But after Ripple was sued by the SEC, a lot of those companies decided to go overseas or register somewhere else. And I think that's exactly what Ripple is addressing here. Here's the remainder of that clip. Continues. There's, there's appeal processes that everybody has the right to do. Um, but uh, we think that this is really groundbreaking. Uh, this is the law of the land. And it's actually quite good news, I think, for, again, I think the U.S. screwed up here on, on crypto and blockchain policy. This is the beginning now through the courts, unfortunately, instead yes. of the regulators to get that clarity and get us back in the well, game. Well, there's kind of both happening in parallel. There's your situation with the SEC. Think about the applications pending for uh, Bitcoin spot ETF. You know, yeah. Gary Gensler and the SEC have both decisions to make on applications and fights that they are, are or are not willing to pick. How has that reflected on Gary Gensler, to your mind, as, as lead of that well, you bring up a, Yeah, you bring up a great point. You saw in the latest the challenge on the ETF, uh, the Bitcoin ETF, again, SEC lost. But not only that, the judge really admonished the SEC, uh, really called them out in a way that you don't really see very often. I think it's just more proof that Gary Gensler's uh, decision of sort of engaging this regulation by enforcement, rather than getting clear laws, he knows they're not clear. He just likes that lack of clarity so that he can go after anybody and make up the rules as he goes along through bullying. And that's not the American way. This should be at Congress. We should have clear rules from the legislatures, not through these sort of unelected, power-hungry and really misplaced decision makers that you see in Gary Gensler. Really, really strong words from Chris Larson there, Johnny. And we already got 286 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to take this a direction that you're probably not expecting, Johnny, because what he just addressed there is for the first time ever, institutions are going to have an excuse to buy Bitcoin, 
hold it and offer it to their investors, that could be a huge catalyst for the price chart going forward. So before we get into the ripple aspect of this, what do you think about the spot ETF aspect? It seems like a lot of products are about to be approved over the next three months. I call it the major liquidity event because that's that's what's going to happen. There's going to be a shit ton of illiquidity that's going to finally be able to flow into this space. You know, when you talk, when you listen to a lot of these um, industry experts, or more importantly, the institutions, they all say, "Hey, we got one, two, three points that we want to put into the." So that's like one, two, three percent of their of their allocated funds that they want to put into the space apps that they won't. There's no way they're putting it into this space until that thing has a big old hug, kiss, and smooch from the SEC giving its approval and saying, okay, it's safe to do it now. And then you're going to see a shit ton of liquidity coming into the space. And I think that's going to help prop the price up, give us probably a new, <coughs> excuse me, a new bottom. And of course, we're going to get some some ceiling off of that. We'll see what it is because, you know, and it'll get over-exaggerated, right? It'll pump over and it'll come down. But I think that that is going to be the event that is probably going to bring Bitcoin either. It's going to be one of two things. It's either going to kick off the next bull run or it's going to top off the next bull run because it depends on when they do it. And that's what we have to wait and see when that approval happens. But if that approval has to happen by January, then to me, that'll probably be the catalyst to kick off the next bull run, uh, in my opinion. Mario, I want to get into this article and quickly kick it over to you for some thoughts because the SEC allegedly has no grounds to reject a spot Bitcoin ETF. And Grayscale is anticipating that we could see many other products approved, such as BlackRock, ARK Invest, JP Morgan, and Goldman Sachs, which all have applications at the SEC right now. And this is something that I think everyone is underestimating when it comes to Bitcoin. When institutions can buy and hold Bitcoin while also making a profit, we're going to see a different type of market going forward. I think we're going to see a much more, I guess I would say, less volatility within the crypto market. And believe it or not, it's not going to take very much. As every single bear market, we lose about 80% of these assets. But Grayscale Investments has told the SEC that it has no grounds to reject the conversation for a Grayscale Bitcoin investment trust. The judge agreed with Grayscale's position that it had proposed a product, and it's not materially different from a Bitcoin futures exchange traded product that already exists in the U.S. today. After the SEC has the opportunity to fully analyze the court's opinion in light of the record, we believe that the commission could conclude that there are no grounds for treating the trust differently from exchange-traded products that invest in Bitcoin futures contracts. So Mario, spot, e spot Bitcoin ETFs, they're coming very soon. And we showed a very important graphic yesterday. Pantera Capital is actually anticipating Bitcoin could be $100,000 in the next 12 months due to the spot Bitcoin ETF news. I'm kicking it to you and then Jake. Yeah, the, the, this is definitely the talk of the, of, of the moment is all these... Uh, different spot Bitcoin ETFs are they're sitting on the SEC's desk waiting for approval. I definitely think, as I stated last night in our Merlin spaces, uh, X spaces, I definitely think that Grayscale deserves the approval. Um, but now we have you know players like BlackRock. They're sitting on the on uh, with an application there too, and we know the record that they have. We know the weight that they have as far as influence and and power. And I definitely think that we will see a BlackRock ETF approved just based on their record, just based on the fact that it is BlackRock. But nonetheless, I do believe that Grayscale deserves it just because they've been creating these crypto-centric products for, for a few years now. They've been allowing investors to participate in the market that way. And I think that converting their GBTC product over to a Bitcoin ETF is something that, that they definitely deserve, in my opinion. Jake, I want to hear your opinion. Do you agree with me that this could be the catalyst we've all been waiting for? Now institutions have an excuse to hold their Bitcoin and still make a profit. Are we going to be wealthy? This is my question for you. 
Oh man, I'm gonna be the the pessimist here. Um, play devil's advocate. I um, every time that there's been a new product introduced around Bitcoin that institutions have been able to take advantage of, they've been able to manipulate the price more and more. So if you looked at the top in 2017, late 2017, um, the day of the top of Bitcoin at 20,000 or close to 20,000 was the day they introduced futures. And they were able to then drive the price back down. So I, I know a lot of people are excited for, you know, <clears throat> the aggregation of Bitcoin and these these corporations and institutions buying it off the secondary market and like hodling it and basically reducing supply and demand, which makes a lot of sense. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, uh, but it also puts fr fragility into the system. So imagine, you know, they did aggregate a huge amount of Bitcoin. They could then dump that on the market and see. They, they just have the ability to manip manipulate price even further than they currently do with this. So, um, you know, both sides, right? Good and bad. Do we get more money in the market? Do we have more control? You have to play that, that, uh, that line. It's an interesting time, though, because a lot of the companies that have been anti-Bitcoin and anti-cryptocurrency over the last four or five years have quickly changed their stance in the last six months. And I always refer to Larry Fink just because he's so popular and he's so predominant. But the way that he treated cryptocurrency just four years ago was basically like an illegal product. He was saying, like, this is used for nefarious activities. Nobody who's doing legitimate business uses this stuff. Well, now he's calling it an international asset and he's comparing it to gold. So my question to you is, now that we're seeing that 180 from people like Larry Fink, how long until we see a 180 in the price charts? And that's what I'm assuming will happen with the ETF. It's definitely a possibility. It's, it Well... So Robbie Minchnick is the head of their digital assets division at BlackRock. Uh, he came from Ripple. So um, just wow. interesting to me to see all the people that have moved from Ripple to specific uh, places like uh, Michael Barr, who's at the head of the Federal Reserve. Anyway, I I'd be interested to see how this plays out. I think it could go either direction. Again, you know, we might see a price rise as liquidity moves into the market. Uh, which a lot of people are hopeful for. Uh, but at the same time, I think it will give um, a lot more control uh, on price manipulation to um, the financial institutions, which, you know, is kind of the antithesis of what Bitcoin exists for. Right. So I don't know. <laughs> we'll see how things play out. Here's what I really want to ask you. And I keep going back to you, Jake, but this is the last one during this Q&A. We're seeing companies like SBI come out this week. And even, and this is the big news for today. One of our listeners asked, have they covered the breaking news for today yet? No, we are saving that till the middle of the show. But here's a quick peek at what's coming. XRP is already being used for cross-border payments. Bitcoin is being used as an international asset to store value. Do you believe this next bull run is going to be speculative or do you think it's going to be utility driven because of products like these? I think it'll be utility driven. Absolutely. I, I think uh, by the time we see the next Bitcoin happening, which is going to be like April, May next year, um, beyond that, I think we'll have full blown uh, usage of a lot of these chains and the implementation of the technology in a lot of different aspects within the economy. And so that's going to drive um, the next bull run in ways that we haven't seen before. I don't think the cycle uh, you know, everybody talks about this time's different. I think this time will actually be different. I really hope you're right, Jake. But one of our friends, Quincy, elaborated on this a little bit. And what he discussed, he doesn't think it's going to be differently. So I'm going to take the opposite end of this argument. Although we're seeing a lot of companies describe how they're going to be utilizing digital assets, and we're playing a video later in the episode about this, right now it's about $15 billion a year. And although that sounds like a lot of money, it's really a drop in the bucket. 
Over $5 trillion are transferred every single day cross-border. And I do think that there's going to be a day where XRP and other currencies of that nature are the predominant force when it comes to transferring value. And Johnny, one of our listeners is asking for your opinion on this, so I got to get your take as well. We're looking at an SBI document describing how they're going to be using XRP going forward. And the question that I had for Jake was, is this a utility run? Is this a speculation run? Before we get into our articles for today, I want to get your opinion. Is this the moment everyone's been waiting for? Is this run going to be different? Yeah, I mean, this run, I think, as I said, will be, I think, unique and different in the, spe- in the aspect that it's no longer just 100% pure speculation play because you now have people who know about it. You have regulation happening. you got court rulings. You've got ETFs being passed. You actually have you, – but the thing is, it's not full utility either. You're in this transitional phase of going from something that was a completely speculative play to something that's going to be shifting to a utility play, but it's neither. It's neither one. It's in the middle. It's like we're making the sausage here. The sausage ain't done. You know, we know we're going to make the sausage. We got all the meat. We're mixing it all together. We add the salt. We add the fennel. It's all going right, but we're not done yet. So it's a weird, unique thing. So I agree. You know, I agree that with Jake that to some degree it'll be it'll be kind of partially speculative, partially utility. Full utility run isn't going to be for a long time because it's going to take a while, I think, for the whole world to adopt and for everybody to be using it and really see what the what that what that curve looks like. Um, so we're somewhere in the beginning. But remember this: <laughs> you can make a shit ton of money out of speculation. There's nothing wrong with speculation play, and I think it's going to be a little combination of both. But one thing I don't know if we can do or not, and I guess we're going to find out, is whether you can just look at the past bull runs and say, "Oh yeah, let's just reapply them to what we think is going to happen this time around." Because it is, a, it is a different and unique time and situation. Um, but I do think a lot of money is still going to flood into it. So we'll have to wait and see what it looks like. Abs. And Johnny, this is the breaking news of today. And this is from the CEO of SBI Remit, guys. But we already have 333 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Johnny, I'm trying to figure out right now, the International Money Transfer Service using Ripple's Money Transfer Solution utilizing XRP will be gradually expanding into the Philippines, Vietnam, and Indonesia. These are the type of articles that become so important over the next five, maybe even 10 years. The announcements today lead to the utility tomorrow. So before we get into the fundamentals of this thing, is this the moment that we've been waiting for for XRP adoption? Companies like XRP coming out and describing how they're going to be using this product, Johnny. Uh, The phone got him again. Mario, you got to jump in here. Yeah, I think think that we are at a precipice where um, something has got to give, right? Ripple's been building these products for, for a number of years, and they've been building these relationships and, and these connections and partnerships. And while they continue to utilize the XRPL and while their products continue to be XRPL-centric, I think that is very bullish for, for XRP in general and the XRPL and the value that could potentially come to, to XRPL. So... I think this is just a confirmation of everything that Ripple's been uh, working towards. Whether we're going to see really that flip of the switch like you just referenced, you know, I think this is the start of something. It's definitely uh, a way in which Ripple is um, expanding and continuing to, you know, bring use case to XRPL. But whether it's going to be that flip of the switch, we're really going to have to wait and see um, if it gets mass adoption in the financial system. Right. Because that's what everybody keeps talking about. It's that swift replacement. Right. 
is Ripple creating essentially a Swift replacement? Or is it just going to be a complementary solution to Swift of some sort? So that's what I'm keeping an eye on. Um, I think nonetheless, obviously, it's very positive news. As far as price action, that's what people are excited about. People want to see price action. But I think price action is completely different to, to utility and all these partnerships. And eventually, obviously, price will go up. But it's not going to go in the time that people are expecting. So, Jake, before we get into the specifics of the SBI news, I've got a great Brad Garlinghouse video describing how they have a product that already outperforms Swift. I think what we're doing and executing on a day-by-day -day -day basis is, in fact, taking over Swift in that, you know, we've now signed up you know, well over 100 banks. Some of the largest Swift-enabled banks in the world are now using Ripple's technology. Uh, I mean, just last week, we saw a, a, a remittance company who's using Ripple's technology they reduced the price per transaction to their consumers from $20 per transaction to $2 per transaction, and they saw an 800% increase in usage overnight. That's the type of dynamic that Swift isn't able to support that we're able to address right now. And, and that's exactly why I think a lot of financial firms are going to be leveraging this technology going forward, Jake. So before we get into the SBI news, do you think that's what uh, Ripple is actually doing here? Are they in the process of replacing Swift, creating an alternative system? What are you seeing from your perspective? Yeah, so Swift only has two options. They they can either partner with RippleNet and facilitate uh, the settlement through XRP on that platform, or they can partner with R3 and still use XRP to facilitate settlement on their platform. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be R3 or it'll be RippleNet that ends up um, replacing Swift long term, um, in my opinion. And and I think that Swift doesn't go away immediately. But I think that they will have to adopt one of these technologies in order to keep up with, you know, the innovations that are taking place and provide the solutions to their customers that, that want them. Um, and either one of those, it's going to require XRP to settle. <laughs> so you had a great analogy before we get into this news, Jake, before the show, describing how before emails were, were facilitated everywhere, there was a day and age when emails weren't sent very often. You didn't have a junk mail. You didn't have a spam box. Well, maybe you can elaborate on how that's going to impact payments going forward. When payment costs go to basically zero, what's that going to do for the entire industry? Well, I mean, Brad just spoke about it there, right? So a, a 10x reduction in, in payment costs, they saw an 800% increase in volume. So the way I think about this is like, imagine before email when people were sending letters and it took two or three days for your message to get to somebody and it cost you some money to send it there. That's exactly how banks operate today. So if you remove those frictions, if it's almost free and instant, uh, imagine how many emails you send daily. Like you wouldn't have sent that many letters to people back then. So the volume of payments should increase exponentially after these frictions are removed as well, in my opinion. You know what the sad part here is, Jake? It will be very interesting to see. So here's the question. When you reduce your cost 10X, right? There's one of two things that happens. A, you if you're a good company, you'll pass that on to the consumer and let them enjoy the savings. Or B, they won't do anything and they'll just increase the bottom line by 10. <laughs> At least in that well, in that portion of the fees they make. There's a shit ton of money they could be making. But I hope they end up passing look, some of the savings to the consumer. They will, right? So if you look at Walmart, they make their money on volume. They run at like 15 to 20% margins. But because they move so much product, that's how they make so much money. Uh, it'll be similar with this, right? So they'll they'll lose money uh, on the fees that they're charging now. So they're charging twenty dollars, you know, per transaction per wire or whatever it is, uh, in order to send capital. But I don't I don't know what the costs associated with it are. I'm I'm sure that they're higher than two dollars, 
right? But the margins that they're going to make on each one of these, if it costs them less than a penny to send a million dollars with XRP, I mean, if they're still charging the consumer a dollar, they're a hundred X if it's a penny, right? Yeah. So that's what I'm that's, saying. That's where they make it up. They're the, going to the volume make it up. of payments. Yeah, they, they'll pass the the savings on to the consumer. It won't be you know their cost that they pass on, but the margins that they make on this will be exponentially more, and the volume of payments that they're able to process will make up the difference on on whatever money they're losing. Probably even they'll probably even double the revenue using this technology versus what they were doing before. Yeah. Yeah, so make more money and more margin. It's a win-win. It's a win-win for them in the long run, no doubt about it. It really is. And Jake, the live chat is loving what you're saying. We're getting a bunch of positive comments, guys. We already have 370 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And this man called it out before I even said it. He must watch the show every day. But guys, this is a great news from today because all of our XRP holders are set to profit off of the innovation taking place. And SBI just announced last night that XRP will be gradually expanding into the Philippines, Vietnam, and Indonesia through this new protocol with SBI Remit. Johnny, I can hear the money signs now. Cardano fans, they're shaking in their boots out there, but the XRP Army, we are celebrating this morning. So SBI expands the Ripple Remittance tech to banks in Vietnam, Indonesia, and the Philippines. SBI will use XRP as a bridge currency to enable faster and more effective cost remittance services through several Southeast countries. Now, what's really happening here, Johnny, is the groundwork is being laid. They're laying down the the railroad tracks right now. $15 billion in total liquidity per year. It's a drop in the bucket. And I want to play this video really briefly before I get some comments from you. There was a great video that we played yesterday, and it was talking about how banks, they're already leveraging Ripple's technology behind the scenes. And this is a Ripple employee addressing that. And stand up, eh? Can you think of an example of the future being here right now, but most people aren't aware of it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, look, we're using blockchain technology and institutions are using blockchain technology facilitating $15 billion a year of cross-border payments flow. Crypto is, 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 is pretty mainstream at this point. Institutions are using it. You, you probably don't even know many of your payment providers when you're sending money cross-border are probably Ripple customers. So Jake, there will be a day when we have instant payment at the banks, but I don't think there's going to be a day where they say, hey, everyone, we're using XRP or we're using Ethereum or we're using Solana. They're going to lay the framework out before they make these public announcements. Is this that time? Are we finally seeing an adoption moment here? Or is this something that takes years before we actually see some price action and some utility come into the market? I think things will be phased in, right? Uh, and I think there still needs to be a catalyst. You, you know, you've pointed to Japan multiple times this morning with SBI. Yoshitaka Katao has said that all banks in Japan will be utilizing XRP by 2025. Um, I'm, what I'm really watching for is for when they start dumping U.S. Treasuries. Like that's that's what I'm scared about. And I'm also hopeful for for our investments, um, because when the dollar is displaced as that intermediary for global trade, that's that's when this comes into into play here. Um, and that's when Swift will have to adopt this other system. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the catalyst that I'm or I'm looking for what my expectation is. And until that happens, I think the status quo just holds. So with this new payment upgrade, there's some exciting possibilities for remittance services, but it's also providing utility for RippleNet and XRP here. And I think that's why a lot of our listeners are really excited out there. So with this new upgrade, the payment technology service will be expanding its bank's account services into three new countries, the Philippines, Vietnam, and Indonesia. SBI Remit will use XRP as a bridge currency to allow fast and cost-effective remittances. And Johnny, this is one of the biggest debates that me and you have had throughout this adoption cycle. Ripple is expanding 
Are they leveraging XRP? Well, this document right here puts it very, very straightforward. They are using XRP as the bridge asset within these new protocols. So really interesting. I want to get your comments there as well. SBI expects the adoption to accelerate as the volume of remittances to bank accounts in the countries mentioned above. Meanwhile, they're also going to be able to use Tranglo to make this expansion possible. SBI did not mention the exact date for when this service would be available, but the company highlighted that it will be rolled out within this next month. And so, Johnny, they're using XRP in this new technology, in this new service, and it's coming in the next 90 days. Do you anticipate any price action from this news, or is it like we've been highlighting? It's the framework being laid. It'll take years before it affects the price. Yeah, I, I don't think something like this is going to affect the price. And we talked about it. You need to have the daily trade volume, not retail trade volume. That number to increase substantially for us to see an increase in price. And so, you know, as more and more of this kind of news and more and more institutions adopt and more of it's done, that's when you're going to start to see it. You'll probably see at some point you'll see some spike. You'll see a gradual increase as well. But we're in the process of building the system right now. It's like laying down the tracks. You got the guy and he's still hammering the thing. And we're moving the tracks down. The tracks aren't all here yet. There's a lot of tracks to still be laid out there before we start seeing some pricing. But the good news is you're seeing the tracks being laid out. You're seeing people try or companies trying it out. You're seeing them learning that there's huge profits to be made, efficiency gains. All that's the kind of stuff you need to be able to give the nod if you're a company or a business to say, hey, I want to move forward with this technology. It's got to be cheaper. It's got to be faster. It's got to be better. Well, it, it you know it does that for all three of these things. So now it's just going to come out to who gets there first, who's got the better technology, who's got the relationships. It's not what you know. It's who you know. All that kind of comes into play. You see Ethereum and Solana making waves in, in certain areas because they've got the right relationships and connections. So uh, it's going to be a battle for it. At the end, it's not going to be one system that rules it all. It's going to be a combination of multiple systems out there. But for me, from a perspective of XRP price appreciation, we still need a lot more of this building happening. And not only in Asia, but we need it here in the U.S. as well. When you start to see that happening and you start to see it happening, you know, in, 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 in the areas where the financial systems are, like in the U.K. and Switzerland, right? That's when you'll start to say, OK, now this thing has all the elements in place to really begin to take off. We've often talked about NDAs on this channel, specifically involved with Ripple, Johnny. And one quick follow-up question here. SBI posting this news might mean we're starting to see NDAs expire as integrations become public. This is a great comment from the other bearable bull. I don't think this is the bearable bull out there. But you give me your thoughts, Johnny. Do, does this mean NDAs are expiring? You, ha you do have experience here. Well, I mean, yes. NDAs usually typically... Well, most NDAs are one to two years. You could have them long, you can have three years, you can have five years. It all depends on what the what the companies decided they wanted to agree with apps. So it's really hard to, to put a prediction on that to say what it is. Um, but if they are talking about it, they're probably mentioning things that aren't, you know, sometimes you can mention that you're doing something, but you can't mention what you're doing. It all depends on how they capture it in the NDA. So I, I wouldn't get too hung up on that piece of it. The fact that if they're if they're saying they're going to be leveraging and using the technology, you know, at this point, you know, maybe it's a trial. That's the thing you have to keep an eye out for and not get too excited about that. But uh, it could be it could very well be that a few NDAs have expired and now they're starting to talk about it. But most companies don't want to tell people what their advantages or what they're doing, because, again, companies are looking for competitive advantages versus the others. The weird thing that makes this unique is for this to work, you need people using it. So that that's kind of the conundrum here 
that I think you're you're having and, and seeing is like, okay, well, we're using it, but we we want you to use it too. So if everybody's using the same rails, it's a lot easier for for uh, functionality to happen. So Jake, this is the document that was posted last night by SBI Remit, and luckily they added a translate button onto Twitter so we can read this thing live for our listeners. It said the expansion of the international remittance service using Ripple's remittance solution utilizes XRP for the Philippines, Vietnam, and Indonesia. And what I found so helpful about this illustration is it highlights exactly how XRP is going to be used. It is the liquidity between banks. And we're already seeing it before CBDCs go mainstream, but there will be a day when CBDCs come into effect as well, Jake. So how does this illustration meet your eye? I don't want to spend too much time on the actual illustration itself, but I think it's great visual for our listeners showing XRP's role in this new financial system. Yeah, I would agree. Well, it's a bridge currency, right? Um, A lot of banks don't trust one another, especially after 08 and all the insolvencies. I mean, just recently we saw more banks fail, right? So you don't know uh, what that other banking partner has for exposures and when you're lending them money or, you know, running up transactions with them, it would be a lot, you know, just less risky if you didn't have to worry about that and you could settle instantly. And that's, that's what this provides. It's a trusted accounting ledger that allows all the banks to interact with one another um, in, in an instant fashion. And it removes the counterparty risk that you might have if you ran up two or three days worth of transactions for somebody else and then settled with one payment. Um, and it helps the consumer, right? Reduce costs, reduce frictions. Um, but I, I really like that visual. It, it does allow you to see kind of where XRP sits in that system and how it works within um, the, the payment process. Yeah, Abs, bring that visual back up again, could you please? That was a great visual. Um, for folks who are wondering how XRP works, so think about this. You're a consumer. You bring one, let's say, or whatever, to a bank. Uh, you're a local bank. It then gives it to the central bank. Your central bank then takes the one, converts it to XRP, sends XRP to the other central bank. It then takes it, keeps the, the XRP, and converts it into whatever that the, 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 the consumer wants on the other end, as you can see, and it pays it out. So as 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 Jake was saying, that's where the the effect, it's between the two central banks where XRP lives. Nobody's gonna see it. Nobody's gonna use it. Somebody actually mentioned it. You know, like how how the rails like nobody sees the rails. Nobody knows how PayPal works. And we say it all the time in the show. Nobody cares either. Nobody cares how when I make a phone call, if I call you, I send you an email. Nobody cares, right? We just want the damn thing to work, right? And so with this system here, you've got XRP in the middle. It's going to be doing its job. And the thing is, the more of the systems that adopt, more of those central banks that adopt the system, you see the higher the use case goes up for XRP. And that's what's going to drive uh, the volumes up. But yeah, it's a great photo. I love it. Jake, I think this is extremely relevant as well. We're seeing SBI choose XRP. Well, what are we seeing out of SWIFT? They're working with Ethereum and Chainlink. So the question that I have for you is during this next cycle, We've always highlighted that we want there to be a migration into better technologies, HBAR, Quant Network, XRP, XLM. That's not what we're seeing from the banks and financial firms. They're continuing to choose Ethereum, they're choosing Chainlink, they're choosing Solana. So I want to ask you, why do you believe that companies like Swift or conglomerates like Swift are choosing these slower technologies? Is it like Johnny always says, it's not what you know, it's who you know? Well, I don't think that they're utilizing these technologies for payments. So so Chainlink in particular is an Oracle. It allows you to pull data off-chain, on-chain into smart contracts. And that's what Solana and Ethereum kind of specialize in, right? So I think they might be writing code in Solidity and Python in order to facilitate smart contract functionality. They might be implemented as a secondary layer for whatever settlement layer they're using. 
Um, Hooks is uh, an amendment that's uh, being looked at for the XRP ledger. They've got a side chain that's, that's supposed to be active in beta here soon. Um, there's a product being launched on that. I don't know if you guys looked at XRP Plus or Zohow or what that looks like. Um, but I've, I've often thought that, you know, there wouldn't be, they, they won't have the capability to issue CBDCs on the XRPL and leverage them in the ways that they want to without smart contract functionality. So I, I think that they're piloting things. Uh, the EVM or the Ethereum virtual machine is a, a very, it's a really good piece of code that Ethereum has that they're able to pilot things on and see how it's going to work. And I think that, you know, over time, to your point, they'll migrate um, from some of these early um, iterations to the better technologies um, and they're interoperable. That's, you know, to um, Johnny's point earlier, it's, it's not going to be just one network or one chain that rules everything. I think there's going to be components and pieces uh, from a lot of these different networks that, you know, kind of are put together in order to facilitate uh, the full uh, implementation of this technology in the financial system. But I, yeah, I, I don't think that it's going to be Ethereum and Solana that they're going to use for settlement. I think that it's just the smart contract functionality that they're talking about. It's important to know. And Mario, one of the things that I was thinking about as Jake was talking is we're seeing a migration into better technologies, but not the best technologies. And so I do think this is a step in the right direction regardless. We like to talk about, we like to provide value for our listeners. And one of the things that I've highlighted throughout this bull run in particular, or this bear market, sorry, is that there are some sleeper picks in the top 20 that are very, very underestimated. And the one that's come to my attention recently, and it's because of what Jake just mentioned with smart contracts, Polygon, otherwise known as Matic, could be used as a huge scaling solution for Ethereum smart contracts. And so I think that's a token in the top 20 that people don't talk about very often. Do you think there's any other sleeper picks that are worth mentioning in the top 20? We've talked about HBAR, XRP. We got a bunch of the big ones. Any sleeper picks from Mario this morning? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is probably going to be a shocker, but Dogecoin, definitely. No That's humor this morning. Serious. <laughs> <laughs> it took a minute to see reactions, but uh, sleeper picks. Um, I think that it's like you said, man, like there's like in the top 20, most of those projects are better technologies than Ethereum. But until we see a move away from Ethereum, I'm still going to continue um saying that Ethereum is going to be the short-term winner. And the reason why I say short-term is, is because I, 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 I still do believe that in the long-term, something else could replace Ethereum as uh, we know everything that Ethereum has been building and moving towards. I still think that something else can come out and be the winner as opposed to Ethereum. But for the short-term, um, even though technology, uh, Ethereum does not have a uh, as good of a technology as some of these other altcoins, um, I still think that we're, we will continue to see Ethereum as a leader. Thank you. And I want to give Johnny's opinion as well. Sorry, I got stuck on the other screen there for a second. But Johnny, we've talked about better technologies existing for a long time. Mario thinks they're going to migrate away from Ethereum. Do you think Ethereum will continue to dominate this market because of the partnerships that we're seeing today? You know, what happens is when, an when a technology gets entrenched in early on, it's very, very, very difficult to boot it out of there and look at swift it's been here for seven years and it doesn't it doesn't make sense we've had technology that's way better than it for 20 past years but it's still here so um no i think i think i think ethereum is gonna be here to stay for a long time because they're so early they were such an early uh for, they have such a first mover advantage and they're so entrenched into everything that i think everything's going to be built on them and there'll be new layers built to make it efficient faster better 
but I don't think you're going to, it's going to be a long time. I think before Ethereum gets surplaced, cause I think it's going to start getting adopted, even though it probably shouldn't, it is. And therefore I think it's going to be around for, for a long time, but Mario's right. There will be non-governmental companies and things like that, that will leverage other technologies that are faster, better, cheaper, because there will be, there's no question. I mean, Ethereum's an old technology. If you think about it, I mean, technology obsolete itself so quickly and the thing was developed 10 years ago, that's already obsolete, right? Uh, and there'll be new technologies for it. But because we're in a new industry that's getting started, that first mover advantage gives them um, a huge uh, head start. Johnny, this is a great video I saw yesterday, and I wanted to get your opinion on it because this is Caitlin Long, somebody who's done an interview with our friend Tony Edward. She's discussing how Satoshi timed the Bitcoin halving cycles with the presidential elections. And for anybody who doesn't know, the last four Bitcoin halvings happened in 2012, 2016, 2020, and the next one will be in 2024 during the election year. And I think this evidence, I think it highlights who Satoshi may be in the background, but let's discuss it after this video. I, I thought about this last night reading Pantera's um, um, monthly newsletter, which I always look forward to reading. And then, of course, they're starting to talk about the halving. And if you look at their model, it shows Bitcoin crossing 100,000 around about the time of the U.S. presidential election in, 19, in, in 2024, okay? And I made the joke, I guess my laser eyes will have to come off right about the same time as the presidential election. Satoshi did this on purpose, folks. Satoshi aligned Bitcoin happenings and bull markets to the U.S. presidential cycle. It's, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. It's six months before every single time. And anybody who's watched any halving cycle knows that it takes about six months for that supply uh, reduction yep. to really start yep. to play into the market. Yep. It's interesting. Yep. I've literally never, never thought about that. The naivete of that statement, Johnny, is shocking from somebody as powerful as Caitlin Long here. The fact that she's saying it's a coincidence that these ele- that it was set up this way or that Satoshi is a gift from God, I'm going to throw my statements out right now. I think that Satoshi and the organization behind Bitcoin is involved with a three-letter organization or at least the government, right? I do think that that entities like this, you want to move away from the U.S. dollar, the tanks quickly roll into your nation. But for some reason, this product was allowed to be launched and nobody really cares to track down Satoshi. I'd like to get some of your thoughts with what Caitlin had to say here. Is it a coincidence or is it timed? You tell me. I, I, I'm still trying to understand who gives a crap. Why Why do I even care whether it's time with the president? What am I missing here? Maybe I'm missing it. Jake, help me out, buddy. What am I missing or why it matters whether this is time with a presidential election or not? I just, I don't, I don't see the significance of it. We know there is no Satoshi Nakamoto anyway. We know it's some probably three-letter agency, but I'm just, I, I don't know. What am I missing here, Jake? Yeah, I, I think that... Um things are used to distract distract the public from certain things right and so maybe maybe that's the point that they're trying to make um but yeah i'm I'm kind of with you i don't really see i don't know if if you're outside of this space you could make those correlations um i think from a thirty thousand foot view you know correlation doesn't always equal causation um so it's not necessarily maybe it just happenstance that it was timed that way but i'm i kind of lean with abs I, I don't think so. I think things are, yeah. um, especially if there is a coordination with a three-letter agency, that things are timed in a specific cadence for reasons. And um, <laughs> somebody said GMC. I don't think that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a three-letter no. agency. It is three letters, though. I'll give them that. That's critical. <laughs> we got to agree. 
I got one more video I want to play out of Caitlin from yesterday, and this one speaks for itself. Well, yeah, I mean, the SEC's in, in a couple of those in a couple of those cases, right? I don't think they thought they were going to lose the Ripple case because if Ripple wasn't a securities, an unregistered securities their Coinbase, offering, their then, Coinbase, their, yeah, the Coinbase claim now has no water. Like whether we agree with it or not, what's a security doesn't matter. If their entire premise of their case against Coinbase is all of these unregistered securities, and that doesn't hold water for Ripple, it's over for them against. What I really like about this is we discussed it for quite a while. Gary Gensler doesn't have the resources to attack every individual crypto product. But what they can do is they can go to exchanges like Crypto.com or Kraken or whoever they're suing right now and say, you're offering 25 what we consider to be unregistered securities. And they can actually regulate the market without going after individual products like they did with Ripple and XRP. So what do you think about these statements here? Ripple's win gives Coinbase the green light over the SEC. That's right. Not anymore. It can be a lot harder to go after them now and say they're all, you know, because we know how they were running. We know how they were playing the Operation Choke Point game, right? It's like, hey, we'll just choke out the exchanges. That's the way you do it. You can't go after 10,000. There's about 10,000. Uh, There's about like 11,000 active coins in the market, right? I know it's like 26,000 total. Half of them are dead. But there's about 10 or 11,000 active ones. There's no way in the world the SEC could go after all of them. So, and they don't need to. You just go after the on-ramps, you go after the off-ramps, you go after the exchanges, and you pretty much shut down the whole industry with those two projects, right? Except that's hard to do when the courts say that the number one weapon you were going to use can no longer be used. You can't come out and say it's a security if it's a programmatic sales, right? At least right now. So that does certainly um, hamper them. But remember, you know, when this will is away, if they want to find a way, if they still want to continue Operation Choke Point, then, then they'll definitely find other ways, I think, apps to go after them. But I kind of feel like Operation Choke Point did its job. They did what they wanted to do. They slapped the industry down. They, they, they definitely beat it up. They hurt it and, and slowed it down in the U.S. for sure. I mean, you heard Larson say he killed, they killed San Diego. Uh, San, um, not San Diego. Uh, San Francisco. San Francisco, thank you. They, they killed it out there, right? They really slowed and hurt everything. They hurt the industry. And so maybe it, maybe it did what it was supposed to do now. And maybe they're like, okay, now we're going to kind of let this thing, you know, kind of grow. Because now you're going to see just the opposite effect. I think you're going to see if regulation comes and if the ETF comes, you're going to now start to see the industry be able to really grow and be able to move forward rather than getting choked out. And so the ruling certainly hurts them. And hopefully we won't see them take another approach to continue to go after the whole industry like that. Absolutely, guys. And we are going down a rabbit hole this morning as the past couple of years, says Monica Long, a prominent employee at Ripple, just stated the past couple of years have been real tipping point for institutional DeFi, where even the biggest banks are embracing this technology as the future and they have to accept or die, Johnny Crypto. That is a strong statement out of Ripple this Ooh. morning. And we, got, we got a great article that we're going to get into right after this about somebody who attacked Ripple in the past. But lately, nobody's heard from this woman, Katie Hun, who raised $1.5 billion during the bull market during the crypto bull run. She's set to be investing that right now as we speak. And we're going to dive into what happened there. But before we do, here's the smartest way to track your crypto. Have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? If so, it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan. The good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen. 
You can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses, and total since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com, that's MerlinCrypto.com, and sign up for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Yes, it is, Abs. We certainly, uh, we're excited. There's a lot of people using it. Guys, I'd just love to know if you've got Merlin, if you received your email and you're using it, give us a one in the chat so we can see who's actually playing with Merlin right now. If you're waiting for Merlin, you haven't got it, put a two in the chat that you haven't received your message. Abs, we're super excited. Um, it's good. Oh, look at that. So pretty. Uh, we're going to continue to, uh, you know, we've got some bugs and stuff like that that we're working on and fixing, guys. We've sent out pretty much emails to everybody on the wait list. If you haven't received it, it just means you haven't checked your, your uh, spam folder or junk box. Go check it. It's most likely that that's where the email is. Uh, so with that said, guys, we hope you get a chance to try it out. Let me know what you think. And, hey, you never know. If you have an issue, you may actually get a call from one of us here on this show. I so please answer the phone. You won't have any problems, guys. Merlin is a, a grade A product. And, Johnny, I don't think you're humble enough. I mean, sorry, I think you're too humble was what I would say. You've created something really special, and I'm excited that a lot of our listeners get to utilize it. And, guys, this is the article we're going to end the show on because this is a rabbit hole that many of you have not been down but it is worth the journey. And we're going to start with this video right here. Here we go. So the question of what Ripple did to get in trouble is a complicated, obviously a complicated question. Um, but just a simple answer is we had been receiving information that Ripple, and of course Ripple of three years ago is a very different company than Ripple Labs today. But we had received information as a government that Ripple Labs back in the day didn't have appropriate anti-money laundering or KYC, know your customer uh, requirements in place or policies. And so to test that information, uh, we actually did a series of undercover buys as a government. Um, and I worked with, with uh, Tigran on that case. And what we found through the undercover buys and the undercover agents were that they were able to move fairly significant amounts of money on the Ripple network uh, without providing any identifying information of any kind um, with just only an email address. And, uh, that caused a lot of concern for the government given the significant amounts of money that was being moved. So that's one thing that prompted our investigation into Ripple Labs. And as I mentioned, it was a much different company. Back in those days, they didn't have an AML policy in place that they were following. They didn't have a chief compliance officer. And it took a while between the time of the, of the investigation, the time of the, of the, it's not prosecution, but of the settlement. Is that right? That's right, Jerry. And I'm glad you said it's not a prosecution because I think an important thing to realize here is people say, oh, it's a criminal prosecution. Actually, there was not a prosecution. Uh, there were no indictments handed down. It was a non-prosecution agreement. Uh, the, what happened to Ripple was a FinCEN enforcement action. So what we had with Ripple, our office had, was a settlement agreement. And it took a couple years um, from the inception of the investigation to the settlement agreement. Johnny, what I find so interesting about this video is previously in this document that we had cited yesterday, they, the, in, the head of cybersecurity for the White House stated that enforcement actions actually take many years to come to fruition. So a lot of this effort that you're seeing now is a culminating effort of enforcement actions because it's something that's been a priority for many years. Ripple was meeting with the SEC for years. The FinCEN organization already described XRP as a digital asset.
not an unregistered security. So these debates are finally coming to the forefront. And I think this is how this process has to play out. We got to call out the bad regulators, allow the courts to make these decisions. And although it's probably the longest way possible, I do think there's light at the end of the tunnel for many of our projects. So how did you feel about her statements overall? There's a lot you can take from those videos. But what I took was that this has been in the works for years and we're just seeing it come to the courts because of all the resources that it takes. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you that obviously when you're going to deal with a system that's going to move a ton of money, there better be a way <clears throat> to make sure at the end of the day that you have a way to make it traceable. And, you know, that's 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 on Ripple, right? That was a that was a mistake they made as a company, not having the right things in place. We all know that the banking system has AML rules and laws and things like that in place. And if you're going to play in that space, frankly, to me, it's like, did they overlook it? They should have known better. But the, here's the other thing. When you look at the other systems out there, I don't think any of them. I mean, I can send money to you right now and Ethan. Nobody would know if I just picked you know, an address. That's all it is, right? So, I mean, the funny part of it is you could have picked any blockchain and said that. And <laughs> that's pretty much, you know, how you know it, it reminds me of, Johnny. It reminds me of that moment when Brad Sherman was speaking to Congress and he goes, these crypto bros, they print money out of thin air. Only the U.S. government can do that. It's That's like, right. Only we're allowed to, you know what she's, I mean? saying, so she's like, saying the same thing about Ethereum and Ripple here. She goes, in, on Ripple, you can facilitate transactions with just an email. Only Ethereum can do that. It doesn't yeah. even make sense. <laughs> it doesn't. That's exactly. I mean, if you, you asked me what I was thinking, like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, wait a minute. I can, we can do that in any blockchain. What, what are you talking about here? So there must be something else they're looking at to say, you know, beyond just the way that the technology itself works to transfer, because they all do that. So then the next step is, okay, what, which ones have KYC? You know, how can you track to see what's going on? And we know that some exchanges are putting KYC in place, but I don't, I don't believe, I'm not aware of any blockchains yet where you're using KYC. I mean, are you Mario? Do you, nope. I, I, do you know, like if you want to transfer on a blockchain before you send an ETH or a Bitcoin nope. that you need to put KYC? So I, I'm confused. I still don't know what the hell is it. I don't get it. I mean, you can pick anyone. So now here's the real question. You got to say, why did they choose? Why did they beat up? Why did they choose? Why did they pick on Ripple? When you could have picked any other one in the world, why them? And this goes to what I say all the time. It's not what you know, my friend. It's who you know. Apparently Ripple didn't have friends in high places. <laughs> well, at least Mario, that's my uh, Mario, I wanted to get your thoughts. Do you have any comments there? Well, no, I, I think that Johnny said, they didn't have friends in high places. I, I think to some extent they do. And that's probably why wow. since they are the apparent winners, right. Uh, of, of uh, whatever they're trying to tackle, that's why they were picked on by the sec and all the sec is, has, has been able to accomplish is they've just made this company stand out even more. They've made them the more apparent, more obvious winners. Um, so I think it's positive that they chose to go after ripple because now Ripple is, or XRP in this case, is the only asset with legal clarity. So I think at the time we, we looked at it, you know, it was kind of uh, annoying and it dragged on for a long time. But it's it's uh, turned out to be a pretty good thing for, for the asset and for the asset class. I mean, okay, good so things me, have come out. Let me, let me, yeah, I know you and Greenwood, Greenwood agrees with you here, but let me flip the coin the other side. If that's the case, you're saying, oh, well, they went after them. You know, yeah, he's like, oh, Mario, 100%. Okay, so if they went after them because they're trying to give them a free pass, right, is what you're saying, or they're going to set them up for the future, well, why didn't they go after ETH? 
Why, why didn't they go after ETH? Why didn't ETH go to court so they can get... If the logic is they're going after them so they can set them up in the future and clear the path, well, we know ETH has been the chosen one, so why didn't ETH, Why didn't they go after ETH and sue ETH Johnny, and the investigation on ETH? To that was them- a good question. You got Mario looking like Gary Gensler when he was being asked about the <laughs> dossier. <Yo>. Remember? <laughs> Frozen in his tracks. But Mario, I do want to get to your response. I'm only teasing, of course. No, I think that... so. They have friends in different places, right? And and oh, I think that the reason yeah. why Ethereum wasn't sued by the SEC is because there was a conflict of of interest as far as you know monetary, and I think that's the reason why the SEC didn't specifically go after Ripple because, or they didn't go after Ethereum, I should say. Listen, but, they didn't grease the right hands, Mario. That's how. <laughs> See, Mario, you gotta watch more mob movies. You gotta grease the right players. All right, that's yeah. I, I gotta bring my Italian more out, I guess, mm-hmm. even though I have no Italian. That's all right. We're gonna put it. To, we're gonna. You have some Italian sausage, then you'll have Italian Indian, then you'll be. Oh boy! I hope he's talking about dinner, guys. But we're, we're talking about dinner, dinner baby. <laughs> we're gonna dive into our last topic for today because this is an interesting article. As Ripple is suing a, an exchange in the UK. A lawsuit was filed in July of 2023 that claims GCC Exchange failed to fulfill its financial obligations of over 40,000 XRP transfers amounting to nearly one or sorry, $14.9 million worth of XRP. So for the sake of time, Johnny, it seems interesting, right? Ripple is going after these guys for not paying the fees. But what it explains about Ripple's business model here is the fact that Ripple needs to earn interest on these XRP transactions. And I think that's pretty alarming for some of our listeners because we're short on time. Just give me your thoughts. I'll rebuttal. No, just real quick. All I say is you have to remember this apps. And I remember when we talked to the, to the guy that worked at ripple, they're in business to make money. They're a company trying to survive. Right. And, and they're trying to build a business model that's sustainable because the billion dollars they got in the bank, if they don't figure out how to create, Potential, you know, I'm glad we got laughs out of the group. That's what it's all about. Laugh, you'll live longer. Um, so anyway, that's why we love you, Johnny. <laughs> it's all about smiles and laughs, baby. Gonna give Mario plenty of short clips over here, but uh, anyway, uh, that's it, Shane. Out of boy, baby. It's all about laughing and enjoying life. We bring entertainment, but we also bring you good information and knowledge, right? So I forgot what the hell I was talking about. Uh, we're anyway. talking about Ripple having to earn money by selling XRP. Oh, yeah, yeah. Abs, they, these guys are in business. To, like They're not here just as a charity event here. They're not here, you know, hey, they're not here for you and me. You know, like, hey, what am I here to amuse you? You know, Joe Pesci, the clown thing. No, they're not here to amuse us. They're here to make money in this space, right? So you can't blame them if they're going after and suing people that owe them money. I mean, I got no problem with that at all whatsoever. Do what you got to do to survive in this space. And and for all of us who are Ripple holders or XRP holders, they're two different things. You know, you want to see the company go and get what's rightfully theirs. I got no problem with that. Abs. Thank you, Johnny. And I want to get a quick comment from Mario. Mario, how did you feel about this news? The fact that Ripple's suing them for such a, well, I guess not such a small amount. It's about $14 million. So it is a pretty big number, but did, did this change your perspective at all really quickly? Um, no, I don't think it did. And, you know, s- small amount, I guess, for abs, but it's a pretty big amount to me. I think. <laughs> Just kidding. But no, I don't think right, no, it really, really didn't. But, you know, I think that it is <laughs> it is exciting the moment that we're living through and all these different things that are happening. And the the chess game is on and we're going to definitely see like Ripple may not have had the, the, the friends that they needed in the right places, but. You know, we've got ex-treasuries and all that stuff coming into place now, so...
Thank you so much, Mario. And I want to say thank you to Mario. Thank you to Johnny. And thank you to Jake, our special guest today. We got 360 live listeners. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And no, $14 million is a lot of money. I don't have that Merlin income yet, Johnny. But I love you guys. And we'll see you tomorrow. Like we always say, Warriors, rise. Get a bad.